Shalom and welcome to the Jewish Boston Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Antsman. We've got the holiday of Passover right around the corner, and we decided to revisit the amazing and atrocious 1956 film, The Ten Commandments, produced, directed, and narrated by Cecil B. DeMille, and starring Charlton Heston as Moses and Yul Brenner as Ramses. To help me make sense of this movie in this Passover pod, I'm joined today by Ashley of Jewish Boston and Dan of Israel 360. Hi, Ashley and Dan. Hello. Stoked to be here. My tears are flowing like the Nile. (laughs) (laughs) This is a very special podcast because we have a very special guest star, formerly of Jewish Boston and now of the Jewish Federation of Tulsa. It's Jesse Ulrich. Hi, Jesse. Welcome back to the pod. I'm honored, honored, honored (laughs) to be here. Before we get into our discussion, I want to encourage all of our listeners to follow at Jewish Boston on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and make sure to subscribe to this podcast. All right, guys, let's throw some colorful scarves around, put blood on our doorways and bronzer everywhere else, and get into this film. I'm bronze. <laughs> let's go. All right, let's, let's go around. And what are your first initial reactions to this film? Jesse, let's hear from you. For those of you who might remember, one of my first projects at JewishBoston.com three years ago was reviewing different Ten Commandments movies. And so I watched a multitude of them, including this one. Ironically enough, having never actually seen the theatrical cut up until that point, I did not realize three important things. One, this movie is four hours long. Two, the production value on the movie is fantastic. And three... Edward G. Robinson is still one of my favorite actors of all time, Uh, the actor who plays Dathan, who's literally just there to remind you that people are always skeptical when it comes to believing in God. That or we needed an anti-Semitic trope. I don't know. Go on. That's true. That's right. It could be that. Um, Also, part two, part two is really the movie. I don't even know why part one even exists. Character development, Jesse. (laughs) Oh, God. If I if I have to hear that woman say Moses one more oh, time, Moses, she says Moses, Moses, yeah. Moses. She never says she never says Moses just right. once. Yeah, it has to be it's twice. Yeah, his name isn't yeah, Moses. It's Moses, Moses throughout the entire Moses, yeah. film. Right, and if you say it in front of a mirror, he appears behind you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, Ashley, what were your first uh, thoughts on this film? Well, I had been watching this film once or twice a year, every year, until I was maybe 12 or 13. So I haven't seen this film in at least 15 years. So it was really interesting to go back and explore it again and catch on to things that I obviously didn't notice before as a kid. Initial reactions, I wonder how much oil they used to grease all of the extras so they would look really sweaty. That's my initial reaction. Great observation. Dan, what was your first take here? Well, I tried to find the movie for free uh, on streaming services, and it's not available. This is a very expensive movie and is not in HD. So I went to my local library, and in order to get it from the library, I had a series of phone calls with a number of different people at the reference desk at Cary Memorial Library in Lexington, a great library, by the way, if you've never been. And I ended up Great with plug the, there. <laughs> thanks. I ended up with a guy who said, "Yeah, you know, it's interesting. The Ten Commandments is shown every Christmas Eve in France." And I says to myself, "Self, one, this movie has nothing to do with Christmas. 
Two, if people are doing it for four hours at night in France on Christmas Eve, it must be the worst Christmas ever. And three, I am going to brace myself for four hours of insanity. And that is exactly what this movie delivered. Absolute insanity. I would like to point out to Dan that I got a Blu-ray restoration of The Ten Commandments plus a Blu-ray restoration of Ben-Hur for $11 on Amazon. Ooh, a deal. Yes. Such yeah. a deal. It's really... <laughs> yeah. So my first reaction to this movie, I mean, I hadn't seen it in about 20 years, I'd say. Although I too, like Ashley, as a kid, I you know would watch it every Passover. I did not remember a lot of this. and But just to say, to echo what Jesse was saying, the production value is incredible. The colors are so bright, though. It hurt my eyes because everything is in gorgeous technicolor. Um, but I will say... As I was watching it and everything's just clashing and so bright and I need sunglasses, I wondered to myself, what would this film look like if it was now and produced with sort of a Zack Snyder palette? So I don't know if I'd prefer that. <laughs> I would suggest watching my favorite mo- Passover movie, which was Of Gods and Kings, starring Christian Bale as Moses from a couple years ago. Which was actually a lot better than I expected. It is. Well, the thing is, I saw it, but it's clearly not that memorable because all I remember is Joel West's face and Sigourney Weaver. And that's it. That's all I got. Um, But maybe I should rewatch it. You you don't remember Creepy Kid as God? Uh, Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. I think I blanked that out. You know, this movie is a remake of Cecil B. DeMille's 1923, The Ten Commandments. So I think we're overdue for a remake. Yeah, and if Cecil yes, B. DeMille could do it again from the grave, that would be the great. Grave. Can I can I ask a question? I'm, I'm now looking at the cast list because you gave it to us. Please do. Please do. Were there any Jews in this movie? Like a single one? This is a great question. I know they all changed and their I names back the then. But, okay. I'm just curious. I'm looking at the back now. Uh, I'm on deep into page two. We definitely have uh, a Semite, Abbas El Bugdadli. I don't see anyone from the tribe at all. Uh, just, just an observation. I don't know if this is like a internet rumor or whatever. I grew up believing that the, the scene where the Jews are leaving Egypt was filmed with Egyptian army reserve people being marched out to onward Christian soldiers. Are you serious? Like that's the music playing. Wow. I'm not, I don't know if that's real, but like, I, think, I think my dad told me that. And so it just stuck with me. That's the irony. Um, Really interesting. You know, the IMDb fun facts trivia about this film, Cecil B. DeMille had permission. One of the reasons, or the reason Cecil B. DeMille had permission from Egypt to film there was because of how he depicted them in a previous movie that he did. But irony of ironies, 1956, and around then is when they, there was a lot of anti-Semitism in Egypt in general, like this is factual. 1956 is when my grandparents were, you know, they had to leave Egypt for being Jewish. So I just think that's really ironic that they're filming just such a crucial Jewish story in a country that was really bad to Jews. They said, "Don't worry, we have a really anti-Semitic character, and he happens to be Jewish." Like, yeah, sounds good. Yep. Was he? Was he Jewish? He was. Okay, and, and I'd like to add at this point David. that that's a real figure. They didn't just make it up for the movie. He's in the he's in the Tanakh. I don't think he's described quite like he shows up in the film. But who does show up in the film like they're represented in the Torah? Nobody. I would say I would say Miriam seems about right. Uh, disagree. Miriam knows everything. 
first of all, I have to disagree. I have to go on a small, small rant here. Very small. The treatment of the character of Miriam is so deeply annoying because at no point do they address the fact that she's a prophet. That's why she knows everything. It's not just she's annoying. She just literally knows. And also, she does nothing. They don't show her doing any of the things except as a child watching over Moses in the Nile. They don't show her leading the Israelites in a dance of celebration after the splitting of the Red Sea. Basically, she's a non-person. But to be fair, so is Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's not just uh, it's not just Miriam. It's, uh, it's also Aaron. Yeah. A lot of people suffered from non-personhood in this movie. That was absolutely an issue throughout. People would come in and out of the movie for no apparent reason. You didn't know why they were yep. there. The only constant was Moses's beard which mm. continued Although, to show us the passage of time. Nothing yes. else made any oh sense God. to me except Moses' beard. I, I clung and to it. And it also, yeah, it also represents, like, you, did you notice when he comes down from first encountering God with the burning bush? Mm-hmm. It is much more curly and distinctive than yeah. it, and it's, it's grayer. He's like, God, you got any product? I need to get down there. A lot of people are going to see me. Exactly. God has given him some beard oil, some curlers. Let me point out some, something I didn't even remember from my viewing three years ago. This movie actually points out one of Moses' biggest flaws, which is that he is a terrible husband. This is true. When when his wife and Nefertiri lady talk <laughs> to each other, because God forbid they can talk about things other than a man, they talk about how Moses is actually terrible in his interactions with them, and he's especially a terrible husband. And that's something I didn't think the movie pointed out the first time. Like Either that scene was cut in the TV version, and I have only seen it once before, so I don't remember it, or slipped my mind. But that's always one of the things I point out about Moses when I'm telling people about Passover and the Exodus story. That like, For all of Moses' good things, he was also like, he abandoned his family yeah, to true. do this. And, and Miriam, I mean, you're, you're our resident religious scholar. No, oh, thank you. Moses was a very flawed human being. And yes. he was not even allowed to go into Israel. I mean, and that that wasn't really, it, it happened in the movie. That was the final yeah. scene of the movie. But yeah. that's a major difference from what I was taught in the Passover story. Wait, what was the difference you were taught? This movie shows Moses as kind of a, a conquering hero. Yeah. Whereas the Exodus story shows Moses as a reluctant and flawed leader. Yes. Yeah, that is a big distinction between among the many distinctions between how the story is told in the in the Torah and, and the Passover story and how it's represented in this film. First of all, they left out the whole part where Moses has a speech impediment. And that's the reason. Yes. yes. That, thank yes. you. That Aaron is there with him all the time. It's not just to hold the staff because like Moses is lazy about it. It's because he needs somebody to help him speak. So they left that out, which is a crucial part of the story that he was reluctant. He doesn't feel he's able. He doesn't feel he's worthy. And that's kind of completely not touched upon in the film at all. Yeah, which makes it so weird where he's like, Aaron, take my staff and do whatever. Right. Nobody knows what that means if right. you don't have the backstory. Exactly. I will say there's really no way to tell the Exodus story in movie form if you're not going to have Moses speak often. Like, I'm okay with that. They should have they should have tried to hand wave it away somehow. Right. But they should have they should acknowledge that's in the story. Yeah. And they was don't. It, wasn't there something – okay, I was raised a Reformed Jew. So if my details are sketchy, it's because the idea <laughs> of what's in the Bible is more important than, than the actual words. But something where Moses demonstrated the power of God in a way that made it seem like he himself possessed the power. And that's what pissed off God. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah, go ahead. There's a midrash about Moses being tested as a child, whether he was Egyptian or not mm-hmm. Egyptian. I believe 
he, a piece of gold and a piece of coal were put in front of him. And if he went for the gold, he was a slave. If he went for the coal, he was Egyptian. And he put the, the hot piece of coal in his mouth. Yep, Am I right there? And that's how we got the speech yeah. impediment. Mm. But Dan, were you talking mm. about mm. that mm. or the mm. reason Moses couldn't enter Israel? The reason that Moses was not allowed to enter Israel because he and God had uh, had a falling out a little bit, right? I, I know this one. Go ahead. I think. I think I know this one. I think I do. I'm really proud of myself for this. So wasn't there a moment when in the Torah, God wanted uh, Moses to talk to a rock and ask for water? And instead of talking to the rock, he hit it with his staff? Yes, that's right. He drew water from the rock. That's right. And let's just talk for a moment about why he had to hit that rock and get water. It's because Miriam was dead. And Miriam had a magical well that followed her everywhere she went. And so the Israelites had no water when she died. Oh, my God. I can't believe you don't know this. It's Miriam's well. (laughs) It's Miriam's well. This is why I ask you. So basically, in the desert, when the Jews are wandering for 40 years, they live off manna, basically, which is magical food from the sky. And Mm -hmm. what do they drink? Water from Miriam's well. So she dies, and they ain't got no water no more. And that's why he had to strike the rock, which is something that people forget. Yes, but that is what God was ostensibly mad at him about. But let's also not forget that while maybe he was a little pissed, in the end, Moses dies by the best way you can die, which is revelation of the divine presence, direct face-to-face with God. FaceTime with God. So God probably wasn't, exactly, God wasn't that mad. A reminder about all stories from the Torah. God's kind of a dick. (sighs) Yes, this is factual. He's not the forgiving, loving person from, say, the New Testament. Uh, The the God of the Jews is a spiteful, Mm -hmm. angry God who is usually had to be talked down from doing something terrible Mm -hmm. by people. Yes, and then sometimes he feels bad about it Uh. after, but it's too late. Yeah. He already did something <laughs> horrific. Speaking of that, God being the all-knowing, all-present being, if we can skip ahead just sure. for a second, there's a important problem that bothered me. It's always bothered me about the story. When he is making the Ten Commandments in front of Moses, like at that time, the Israelites are having their Burning Man yeah. orgy down at the bottom of the mountain. Like God knows that's happening right mm-hmm. then. Like He knows it's happening. Why doesn't he be like, Moses, pause, go down, fix this. Come back up. Well, there's a lot of thoughts about that, but it's a lot to go into. But one thing I will just quickly mention is that at the time that that party was going on, that was technically before God wrote the part, (laughs) gave him the part where you're not supposed to have uh, create objects like that to worship. So it happened before he gave that commandment. Therefore, what do they know? The people of Abraham, they already know that idol worship is bad. Yeah. Right. It's sort of like an informal rule, sort of like right. a, it was. You know, it was sort of law. informal, and then it got written down. Right, but until a bunch of illiterate slaves can actually not read it on a tablet, it's not technically the law. Well, that's yeah. That's why we have the oral tradition. Trust me, it's on the tablet. They, well, they were slaves. Like they deserved that. They deserved that party. Really like was their life's going to suck. Party that was long, the best moment really of the movie. Was. Yeah, it was, it was lit. There was there was lasciviousness. There was yeah, that party was lit. It was the most G-rated orgy in world history. But apparently, it was so bad during filming that this one of the women was like, "Who do I need to fuck to not do this?" <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's what she said. Who was the person that she needed to fuck to not do that? Probably didn't Probably find Cecil that person. At that point, <laughs> it was not Cecil B. He was in. Oh man, I can tell you who it was. It was the guy who was holding two women oh, yeah. by the arms. And just looking around, be like, where's the place to uh, 
sexually yeah. harming women. Okay. I was like, whoa. Let's that that scene. That scene's very important for two for another reason. One is the way they shot that during the like the Burning Man orgy scene. Everyone there is young and attractive. Mm-hmm. And then instantly when Moses appears, everyone is super old. Yeah. And Funny decrepit. how that happens. Where were they? Where were those people five minutes ago? And where the hot young things go? Where did they run off to? Are they coming back? They actually left out a lot of that. The part where Moses commands the people who did not participate to kill everyone who did. Um, oh, whoa. Yeah. Everybody, so basically the tribe of Levi did not participate, which is why uh, one reason why uh, the Kohanim are from Levi. But yeah, so Moses is like, you f- Okay, you guys all have to die now. So he's basically like, you kill your brother, you kill whoever it was, it doesn't matter, you have to kill them. And that's what happens. But they left that out of the movie, because it's kind of a downer. Great. Yeah, a little bit. I think we need to spend a couple minutes on part one, or what I call the Game of Thrones part of the story. I mean, that's pretty offensive, but okay. (laughs) I I said that mostly Mm -hmm. to annoy you. It's more the War of the Roses part of the story. Because a couple things to to mention in part one. I'm still not a fan of putting a baby in a a bucket made of reeds and putting them down the river. Like, still, not a great plan. Second of all, did no one ask where she got this baby from? (laughs) Oh, my God. You don't ask a woman where she just got a baby from, Jesse. Come on. I feel feel like – and she's she's the sister of the pharaoh at the Mm -hmm. time, right? So her brother's not going to be like, whoa, where did this already born baby Mm. come from? No? Nothing? Nope. No comment. Fair enough. Secondly, did anyone can anyone tell the time jump had happened? No. From Moses' babe? No, <laughs> no, it just I was like, bam. Only Mo- Moses' yeah. beard was the only reference point and time time passage in the entire film. In four hours, we only knew Moses' beard length. Well, it goes from yeah. um what's her name? It, you can just call her Bacha. That's what she's Bacha, calling. Bacha, thank you. Yeah, like holding this baby up and saying, Your name's gonna be Moses, whatever. And then you go to Nefertiri, who's lounging on this chaise on a balcony, throwing flowers to Moses. And yes. it, she kind of looks like Batya in that moment. You've hit upon something that freaked me out when I was watching this. I had no real memory of uh, Nefertiri, probably because she was not in this story. But when they cut to that, after they had shown him as a baby getting rescued by Batya, I was like, who is this woman? Is that his mother? And I was so freaked out because they were like making out her and Moses just like, and I was very disturbed. And then I realized, wait a minute, that's not her. That's some other lady they just invented for the story. Yeah. You and my dad had the same problem. He was like, what just happened? Like, who is that woman? Yeah. I'm like, is this some Lannister shit? Isn't that his mom? What's happening? Mean old a- anti-Semitic servant lady still there. And she looks older. Ugh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Who gets what's coming to her? Oh, she does. Who got what's coming yeah. to her? F her. Seriously. Right, however, yeah. sorry, real quick about Memnet getting what's coming to her. They don't actually show Nefertiri killing her. They show, you know, people killing babies with the right, bloody swords. Why. Yeah. But that could be a really cool fight scene. Why didn't they show that? Let's just assume that she's dead. <laughs> This is a great, great question. You don't show ladies fighting in the No. Movies. You only show them throwing scarves around and giggling in groups. Yeah. And looking at someone in the face and then turning away from them to say oh something else. Oh my God. There was so much of that. Okay, mm-hmm. let's, let's, I think this is now the time to talk about Nefertiri. And what the hell? What the hell? We've established that she's not a real character in the Passover story, the story of Exodus. She was 
clearly invented for to give uh, Moses a, a romantic interest and also set up another um, area of clashing with Ramses, who eventually marries her. But the acting uh, was so atrocious and just, I don't even know how to, like, so extra, so ridiculous, so over the top, so many swooning scenes, just absolutely ludicrous. What did she really bring to this film? Well, a lot of I fuck because Definitely. every time we see her, she's I fucking the shit out of Moses. And then when he's like, I give you Ethiopia and the king and the king's sister, who are never introduced by name, by the way, right. come up. She's I fucking the sister. She's like such a such an attractive. I thought that was like a jealous. I thought that was a jealous eye stab more like. No, it was. He's totally in a Moses too. So I thought it was like, stay away from my man. Well, it was, it was mm. right before that. She's like, and such a beautiful enemy. Oh. Like looking at her before she. Yeah, it's just crazy. Mm, got it. And then Ramsey's the whole time is just trying to f- his sister. Now that happened immediately. That happened in the Bible a lot, I believe. First of all, back it up. It's not just the Bible. That actually happened all the time in Egyptian royal society. That was the norm. Yeah. But is she the sister? They never say who Nebuchadnezzar is. Exactly. I'm not clear on that. I don't think she is. See, I think she is. And they didn't include that because incest wasn't, um, I mean, like it's still, you know, but back then it was way more taboo in film. Mm. So Mm. that plot line wasn't on the screen. That it's still fairly sense. taboo, I would say, but yeah, I, I don't well, really yeah. know. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, you know, Game of Thrones. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, It's totally Wait normal. Like Gecko, episode one. Incest is cool now, guys. <laughs> All the Targaryens are doing it. I think Nefertiri's role in this movie was truly only to give Ramses a motivation people could understand about going back and forth all mm. the times, mm-hmm. right? It was... It was his jealousy because remember she's always like people are laughing at you, right? It, it was almost like she was the internal monologue of someone right. who was king, but still worried about the fact that he was not the most beloved by right. his people and by his father. It was a way of not having like an internal dialogue, someone standing at a mirror looking at themselves, sort mm-hmm. of moment. Because she's constantly just poking yeah. him. His his actions, his actions to me made no sense. So here he is, the most powerful yeah. leader of the most powerful dynasty on earth at this point, the most powerful empire. And he won't even kill his primary rival because he thinks it'll make his wife too jealous of the dead person. Right. And, right. And nothing, you know, Although we've established, yeah. But he, he just, it seems to me that he he's always a step behind. He's a terrible leader and he's not someone who, um, Yul Brenner could have been so much more. I will defend him for a hot second because- I fucking love Jill Brenner in this. I thought he sold it. He sold those polyester outfits so hard. I I adored him. I thought he was hilarious. And he was just always posing. His sandals were so fly, too. Um, That scene where he's walking towards Nefertiri at the end because he wants to kill her. I was like, oh, he's going to kill her. Oh, look at those shoes. Also, he was walking really weirdly in that scene. Like he was like almost... It's almost like someone was wearing a Yul Brenner suit, <laughs> right? And wasn't sure how to walk yet. It was very strange. Did you guys notice that one? There was one scene where he, Yul Brenner, uh, Ramses finally decides that they will take military action against the escaping slaves at long last. So he stands there and puts his arms out, and everybody dresses him. I'm like, that's Robert. That's, that's Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> yes. in Iron Man. It was exactly the same. 
pose filled the same way. Right. And that's like a little Easter egg in Iron Man that they they did some kind of a uh, Easter egg. Uh-huh. They did some kind of a uh, Ten Commandments. It's a Passover and, egg. And it is only, a Passover yeah, egg. Yeah, but only now did I get it. Also, did anyone else notice that they were having a Passover Seder during the night where the Passover <laughs> Seder was served? <laughs> right? I'm like, why are there greens on that what table? Why are there green on that? These are bitter herbs to remind us of yesterday's bondage. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. And the little kid asking the questions in this really whiny voice. Why are we having dinner now? (laughs) Why is this night different from all other nights? Right. He's the dumb kid. Yes, he is. Yes. He's the one who's too dumb. He can't even speak. But going back to Yul Brenner for a second, um, and Miriam, you did bring this up real quickly yesterday when we were talking about it. If we were to remake the Ten Commandments for the modern times, who would you cast? What I was saying was that um, if this film had been made in the modern times, we would expect the stars to adhere to a certain physical standard that's been set by superhero movies as to what their muscles look like. So while Yule Brenner is ripped in this movie, they wait, focus. Hashtag small. Yes. <laughs> he focused clearly, focused more on his arms and great thighs and calves, but he did not exercise his abs. So they would have definitely put him on the, the Hemsworth workout. And, and Charlton Heston, too. I was disappointed, Charlie, in your workout, lack of workout regime. Speaking of like their whole outfits and how everything looked, their belts were so tight. Did anyone notice that? Like, it looked like they were sucking yes. it in because they hadn't done those ab exercises. And th- it just looked so painful. It was the most painful part of their whole costume design. I mean, that and the fact that um, Nefertiri was clearly wearing a corset under her robes. And that also looked painful. Well, I just really liked the Egyptian women's outfits. I just Yeah, they were great. Oh, yeah. I thought they were just really beautiful. Oh, yeah. Gore- I mean, the costumes are amazing, except for the polyester ones. They put Nefertiri in the movie instead of Nefertiti because they didn't want any boob jokes. Oh, man. Fact. But they happened anyway. I mean, I made those jokes when I was watching it. That's so middle school of them. I know. More like Nefertiti, am I right? Yeah. So so let's actually talk a little bit more about the, the women characters. We've, we've spoken about some issues here. There's also other things that really bother the heck out of me. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how you guys feel about this, but... Anytime this film had uh, a group of more than two women together, like, for example, in the scene where Batya is bathing in the Nile and she's about to discover Moses. And later in uh, the scene where um, Moses uh, meets all the daughters, including uh, Sephora or Sephora, as she's called here, and and tries to figure out which one he's going to marry. All of them are it's giggling. It's throwing scarves around. It's just like a whole bunch of laughing and stupid, inane silliness. Yes. yes. Okay. Very importantly, the the Midian dance of oh. wife choosing, I was a big, I was, a, I was like, wait a second. So like, okay, stepping back like one scene, right? Those daughters at the well <laughs> are literally like, where's, I, like, I need exactly. the D they right now. Exactly, they find a penis. I would not, yeah, yeah, and they're like, they're like, they're like penis, the penis in the bushes. I was like, girls, calm oh my god, down. they were so thirsty, Here, literally. I, I have to say that you know, at, at the very beginning of the movie, when it's showing the queen's court, basically, you could expect that the leisure class might have more time to talk about such things because there's nothing they got to attend right. to. 
But this is a group of shepherding women, right? These, these they're sheep shepherds. Right. That's all they want to talk about too. Yes. So there is basically one thing on the mind of every woman in the world in 1955, according yep. to Cecil B. DeMille. That's all women that's care it. about. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Also, where's their mother? Where's their yeah, mother? Upon. <laughs> I mean, she's obviously dead because it's, it's a story we're watching and right. the mothers always die. But no mention of her, like... I mean, she had, what, like 12 yeah, girls? just popped them all out and then died, I guess. Yeah. She's like, well, my purpose is it's done in the so story. It's so uncomfortable. Goodbye. And um, this is also, by the way, not a part of the Torah. Uh, he's given Zipporah as his wife. He doesn't have this plethora of women to choose from. So there wasn't like this, oh, I have to impress him because, uh, you know, none of that actually happens in the story. He just married her. Her skin as white as mine. Are her lips as rosy? Uh, this was so uncomfortable. <laughs> that was so, oh this is so uncomfortable. When yeah, yes. when Nefertiri discovers that Moses has been married um, to a shepherd. Oh, does she girl. smell like the sheep oh of the field? Oh my god, uh, just a low class shepherd girl. And so this is weird and horribly uncomfortably racist dynamic, where they're like going on about how beautiful and white. Nefertiri is. And it's just so icky. Also, it points out one of the most annoying things about the script of this movie, which was that whenever they were making an analogy or doing a description or naming Moses, they didn't just do like it once or twice. They do it like five times, right? She goes through like a whole list mm -hmm. of things. We're like, we, we get it. Like, You've lived a more, you know, yeah. plush life. You have yeah. more makeup, but like they, they they go on like three more well, times. You got to make a four-hour like, movie. Yeah. You got to figure out a way to just do stop it. it. You got to drag it out. Even movies to this day have a problem dealing with yeah. female characters. This movie, they are they are literally just there to either pine mm -hmm. over people, to be sad, or to be included in an orgy. That's right. And if they are a character of some agency, you take that agency away. If you're Miriam, you take out anything that's actually cool about the character. And I mean, this is, we see this through other characters like, okay, in the film, um, what do they call his mother? Because it's something ludicrous. Yochabel. Yochabel. Okay. The real name is Yochabed. I don't know where they got all those letters from. So this is all like, super weird the treatment of her as well and his whole relationship Moses relationship with her and with Batya it's just so sad yeah I really you know Batya at the end comes around and leaves Egypt with them which I thought was really interesting did no that way. really happen There's absolutely no, no way that happened did not yeah it did and not. she you know gave her shes to sick and old people <laughs> to ride out of Egypt on. But a, a female character who I'm very surprised hasn't come up yet is Lilia. Oh, God. Sorry. Right? Like this gorgeous woman who is totally with Joshua and then Dathan steals her and she goes to him so that Joshua won't be killed. Exactly. They've invented this woman this character, this female character, to be a, a convenient victim whenever they need a female Hebrew victim, right? So in the beginning, yes. she's mm -hmm. harassed. She's a water carrier. She's giving water to the slaves. And she's beautiful. So she gets hit on. She gets a, a pretty much a – she's – oh, my God. Goes through so many, so many instances of harassment. And she eventually has to marry um, Dathan to save Joshua's life. And then – at the golden calf, she gets tied to the golden calf and almost sacrificed, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Also, 
Can we talk about Vincent Price for a second? Oh, let's do. Please do. Oh, man. Like, no one is enjoying themselves being in this movie more than Vincent Price. I mean, it feels like he gets killed early on in the story, even though it's like two hours in. But he was just like eating up the Mm -hmm. costumes and the performance. I loved it so much. It was so great. He had that little like... Like the fancy horse whip that's not really a whip, mm-hmm. more like a brush. And he was just like waving it around. And I just, mostly I just saw Will Forte <laughs> playing Vincent Price doing this. And I just wanted more of that. I wanted the story from his point of view. There's your remake. It just made me so happy. I just wanted to mention how happy that made me. So, because I was like, wait, Vincent Price? I had totally forgotten he was in this. Yep, I totally forgot that as well. Okay, so let's give some credit uh, where so credit good. is due. We've had a lot of criticisms of this film, but what did it do well in I your I would opinion? like to talk about how it revolutionized the idea of drapery on a film set. I, <laughs> yes, Dan, I, please. Dan, tell I, us okay, what you think. I, I oh watched this movie uh, over the course of two days, Sunday and Monday, and ever since I've seen the movie, I am obsessed with window treatments. I have been looking at everyone's window treatments, and, and I think... There's something about the way that this movie was staged. I was talking to my wife about it. It's a single camera, almost always a single camera, pointed at the characters from a pretty good distance. So it is like you're watching a play. But in every scene, every every room, every moment is is kind of framed by a massive drape of various colors. And it just it's the mm-hmm. one thing that was universal in ancient Egypt. They really knew how to treat a window, I have to say. So that was one thing I really liked about it. Uh, another thing that I thought was really excellent is the the special effects on the wide shots, the construction of, of the uh, mm. obelisk. I don't know exactly. Is that an obelisk? I thought that was outstanding. When they're moving a giant block and there's a woman about to be crushed under it, I was buying it. I was totally buying it. Who is Yochaved? Uh, so mm-hmm. yeah, so I was buying this um, w- when they had big things to work with. They did very well. Now, I'm not going to get, I, I shouldn't criticize, but uh, my God, the when they tried to mix animation with live action, it was, the results were astounding. <laughs> oh God, that, Go so on, I'll say something um, good. Oh, for the, the curtain scene, just bouncing off of that, they also had, not just in front of windows, but they had gossamer curtains. Yeah. Um, behind which there are musicians and priests to add some kind of depth to the shot. Yeah. Or, Hide the servants from view. Let's not forget the scene where before he's uh, kicked out of Egypt, Moses has been sort of like playing at being a slave and he's covered in mud, right? Mm -hmm. He goes to see Nefertiri and she's like, don't touch all my beautiful Mm -hmm. fabrics. And her the carpet is purple and like plush and the fabric is just incredible. And I'm like, yeah, don't fuck her room, guys. This is beautiful. I think this movie should get credit for one very specific thing, which is that we're we're criticizing it as a as a story told in movie form. But the Exodus story itself is like not a good story if you just mm-hmm. take it as a story, right? Characters do ridiculous, mean or horrible things. They yeah. treat other people terribly. Women aren't represented well. And this movie matches that. Like it's doing its best to match the tone. Of the Exodus story. Except worse. And so it should get yeah. credit for that. Be- except worse. Except worse and done in a weird... I forgot how much Cecil B. DeMille voiced over the story. But good God, <laughs> man, we get it. We get it. Yeah, it's like part narrative, part PBS documentary. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's... Uh, 
Yes. And then also, we've we've mentioned the movie in parts one and two, but can we just acknowledge that there is actually an intermission built in with its own dedicated intermission card? And I have to say that the uh, yeah. in the DVD version, which I don't think any of you watched, the DVD I got from the library, the intermission was presented in real time. <laughs> it was literally a 12-minute break in the movie. I could not. Yeah, it went on forever. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. happened with yeah. ours, too. It was, I was like, what? I'm not actually getting up and doing anything. No, I've already paused it like 85 times. Like, right. I'm, I've watched this over the course of five days. I don't need this. Yeah, the, the, Blu-ray ha- the Blu-ray has that as well. That's the end of part one, pretty much. It's the end of disc one. Uh, here's the thing. I love movie intermissions, and I want them to come back because we all need a break, especially as movies are starting to get longer again. They didn't need to include that on the you know, digital right. media copy of it. It right. could be five seconds or end of right. part one. The extended editions of Lord right, of the Rings handles exactly. it, right? Credit where credit is due. This this movie again points out that for as terrible as some of the Star Wars movies were, we owe, we owe George Lucas credit for getting rid of the oh, credits at the beginning of the movie. Because oh, way to kill momentum. Oh, so true. Yes, get so to it, it already. So it was four minutes yeah. and 20 seconds oh, of credits. The very first one eh? is spoken oh. at 420. Hmm. That's no Oh my gosh. I want to give a shout out to the thing that I enjoyed most about this movie, which was Yule Brenner. Oh, he was fabulous. I loved his performance. Anytime he was on screen, I enjoyed this. It wasn't painful. It may have been ridiculous, but it was enjoyable as hell. And as soon as he exits the story, it kind of got real boring real quick. I would like to give credit to the character of Dathan. <laughs> who really, who I, I've loved since a child, just because I was like, something is up with this character. I mean, like, as I got older, I understood what his purpose was and what he was doing. But the way the, the way Edward G. Robinson plays him is now like, it's been absorbed into other parts of popular culture. Cause like, he's a little bit Chief Wiggum. <laughs> he's a little bit uh, other characters from other things. You know, the, where's your God now? Eh? Which he never actually says. The way the guy plays it's so great. Like, no matter what is happening, no matter, no matter what he has just seen, he will instantly turn on, on Moses or whoever the, le- whoever the leader is at the time. It's just so, it's so delicious. It's like, I want him and Vincent Price in the movie more okay. together. Like, scheming and yes. trying to do things. I, yeah. I love it so much. I would like to just take a moment to give credit and acknowledge the plethora of platitudes so in many. the film. Mm. Envy is for the weak, beauty is for the strong, ambition knows no father, love cannot drown truth, most of which are spoken by Ramses, by the way. Interesting. That is interesting. I didn't pick up on that. But it's- Also, none of that's from the Torah. (laughs) No. So it shall be written, so it shall be done. And also, Yule Brenner sounds just like James Earl Jones, or since he came before James Earl Jones, James Earl Jones sounds like Yule Brenner. Oh, interesting. Can we talk about how this movie is secretly like an anti-climate change story? Oh. Because like Yule Brenner's looking for scientific reasons (laughs) for why the plagues are happening, and they're like, no, it's God, (laughs) shut up. And he's like, no, there was this volcano, and it poisoned the water. (laughs) It's just a, a, a regular cycle of children being murdered by a green mist. 
Yes. You know, it, it, it happens, happens every yeah. 10,000 years or so. Not a big deal. Yeah. I just love how he was like, no, like scientific reasons. I was like, hey, like, he's right. Like God probably, like if, if we believe the story happened the way it happened, God probably used natural phenomenon to do it. And he's like, there are these natural phenomenons. And they're like, no, it's it's a spiteful God. Let's get rid of these people. And he's like, but, but like there are reasons. The parting of the Red Sea in uh, the recounting of it, yes. it says that all night a strong easterly wind blew. So it wasn't like an immediate splitting of the red sea magic like like it's shown here it was put like it's actually described as being the wind blew so much that it basically pushed the water out and then they could cross so that's it yeah and the ground would have been wet pretty wet yeah yeah the ground would still be wet yes it's so dry there's no dead fish no dead fish anywhere no seaweed no nothing it's fine <laughs> Can we, okay uh, since we're talking about the splitting of the red sea since I was watching it on a 65-inch 4K TV this time, I noticed something I had never seen before, which is that when the Red Sea collapses in on itself, the chariots, the chariots closest to the Jews, are just milling about. They are not moving forward. Like some are sideways. Mm-hmm. They're just standing there. Why are they standing there? I understand from the, the shot as filmed, they assumed no one would ever be able to see it that closely. But they are mm. not moving. They're just staying there waiting to die. I was like, come on, guys. You can do better. Well, maybe it suddenly got muddy and then the wheels of their chariots got stuck. Just an idea. I did appreciate a brief moment of underwater camera for maximum carnage, even though, yes, mm-hmm. they were just yeah. mm-hmm. there. Also, I feel like that would have been a time for Yul Brenner to drop like an F-bomb instead of just putting his head in his hands. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. And he bounces. Yeah. <laughs> I would have just been like, go. shit. I gotta get the fuck out of here. Yeah. I mean, like, I would have, like, dropped my scepter and, like, slowly backed away from the thing and just ran off. He never does that. He's, he, um, it's just, it's so, so funny. He he sends everybody else down. First of all, he doesn't go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I forgot, I forgot about that line where he was like, this is, mm-hmm. this is a work for butchers, not pharaohs. And I was like, classic Trump move right there, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> he was too, fi- too, too, um, ner- like, scared to fire him in person. He had to do it over Twitter. Oh my god! Which, by the way, th- that guy's son died like five minutes earlier, and one, the general doesn't seem that upset about it, and two, just goes on back, back to his regular life. Like, even though his pharaoh just murdered his son by not th- thinking things through, he's like, "No, you go die now." Well, I mean, children are pretty expendable. And the guy's like, "Great, life was cheap in ancient Egypt." Uh, you know, I, I think that uh, that Charlton Heston, having been part of this movie, probably realized that. If only the Jewish slaves were armed, this could have never happened. And that's why he became chairman of the NRA for about 5,000 years. Yep, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Again, if, if, God, if God is, you know, omnipresent, go into the future of humanity, bring guns back to the ancient Hebrews, give them guns, they could take care of themselves. So you can enslave me from my cold, dead fingers. I'm sure there's a midrash about that. I just love that. <laughs> I, I just, I love the platitudes. I have to tell you, Ashley, I totally agree with you. The platitudes are everything. And, and you know, the, the uh, I, I'm totally forgetting the character's name, but when the pharaoh would make a decree and the guy would put his arms up in the air and walk away backwards, it was just phenomenal. I want to thank you guys so much for talking with me today about this movie. Thank you, Jesse, Ashley, and Dan. And thank you to Sean Fogel for our music. I want to wish all our listeners a very happy Passover and Chag Sameach. Chag Sameach, everybody. Happy Passover, everyone. I hope that you don't have to watch this movie. Bye. Thanks for listening. Dayenu. Dayenu.
Thank you.